Well, I would invite you, if you have your Bibles, to get them out and uh, turn to the Gospel of Luke with me. If you interact with uh, an electronic device, well, turn that on and uh, bypass the NFL scores. And um, <clears throat> I know you. I'd be doing the same thing. And uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, and I want you to turn to uh, chapter 18. That's where we'll start. Last week, I shared a statistic with you uh, that uh, was done by uh, Barna Research Group. It was published in a book called uh, Unchristian back in 2007, and the statistic was that 87% that's a high number out of 100, right? 87 out of 100 of us Christians, um, young adults, feel that 87% or 87% of young adults felt that Christians are judgmental. Have you, have you heard that before? Yeah, I've heard that one. And, and so I thought, you know, as we work our way, we're in the second week of a series called Shark Busters. And... Uh, Kind of the baseline foundation for this series is the thought that many people out in the world look in on Christianities and Christianity, and they make a lot of assumptions about us. Many of them, which are true, because um, the way that some Christians have acted and are acting uh, is more like a shark that's swimming in this pond and just taking bites out of people. And so, I think once in a while. If we are really doing our job well as believers and letting iron sharpen iron and holding each other accountable for our behavior, well, sometimes we need to talk about these things. If people think that we're judgmental, maybe, just maybe, we're acting in ways that would suggest to them that we are judgmental. So I would ask you to stand with me, and we're gonna, I want to read a little episode here. And as I was thinking about being judgmental, Um, it seems to me that once in a while we may look around and compare ourselves to other people. Hey, I might have a few, you know, issues or weaknesses, but, you know, comparison to them over there, man, I'm fine, I'm good. And I think when we start that comparison game, well, then we start to look down on those whom we're comparing ourselves to, and that comes across as judgmental. And part of that process is we end up labeling those people. And so this morning, that's kind of what I want to talk about, comparing, judging, labeling. Jesus tells this story, Luke 18, starting in verse 9. Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous and who looked on everyone else with disgust. Two people went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself with these words, God, I thank you that I'm not like everybody else, crooks and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I receive. 
But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he wouldn't even look, he wouldn't even lift his eyes to look toward heaven. Rather, he struck his chest and he said, God, show mercy to me, a sinner. These are the words of Jesus. I tell you, this person, the tax collector, went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. The, the word justified, sometimes we, we struggle with that word. What, is, what does it mean here in this context? And, and you could easily, as easily read it as made right. Jesus said, I tell you, this person, the tax collector, collector went down to his home made right before God rather than the Pharisee. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. So the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So the world kind of has this obsession with labeling everything, right? I mean, if you could crank your neck around, there's a label probably on your shirt, right? There's a label on your Bible. There's probably a label on the bottom of the chair, although they're old chairs, and so the labels have probably fallen off. But the world labels everything, including uh, people and products, and your political affiliations are labeled. Everything is labeled. You know, some labels that we have as people, we like. They're good, they're, you know, maybe they're fun, and... Um, Maybe we live into our labels, you know, I, I have the label of husband, I love that one. I have the label of dad, I love it. I have a label of pastor, that's good, and I have the label of cheesehead, and you know, I'm not afraid of that one, <laughs> except when I go to Seattle. <clears throat> My favorite hockey team is the Red Wings, and so the Wings fans are called Wing Nuts. Yeah. I don't know about that one, but I'll, I'll, I'll own it. Uh, you know, th th there's, probably, uh, there's probably others, but uh, I probably won't go there this morning. Uh, some labels we like. They're fun. They're good-natured. We can laugh. Uh, we, we can look at the label as something to strive for, to do better at. I mean, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better dad. And so I wear that label, and I look at it every day. I'm like, wow, I'm so lucky. I'm so privileged and fortunate. I need to do better at living into this label. But th then there's, you, you can flip every coin over. And, and there's other labels that we have that, well, they kind of haunt us. M maybe they remind us of, of things in our past that we just soon forget about. They're negative, they're hurtful, they're heavy. Um, Nasty labels like this, they tend to follow us around for a long time. They're kind of hung around our necks like really heavy chains that, that weigh us down. And they affect how we think about ourselves. They affect how we uh, interact with society. I mean, labels like loser or addict or sex offender or alcoholic, unwed mother, convict, homeless, divorced, gay, bankrupt, failure, train wreck. Those are pretty heavy labels, aren't they? 
maybe you're carrying one of those around and it's just this huge weight that's holding you down. They haunt you. They, these are labels that just seem to tattoo themselves to your soul. And I think that when people use labels to refer to us, and when we use labels like this to refer to other people, uh, we do it because we believe that we can understand somebody and form an opinion about them based on a single word. See, the truth about labeling is that, that we have this tendency to view people as categories and not as real people when we reduce them down to a word. And when we read somebody's label, oh, they're whatever, sometimes we think we have all the information necessary to understand who that person is. We, all, we, we have everything that we need to go ahead and pass judgment, and it's, you know what, it's really a much easier way of understanding somebody than actually doing the hard work of hearing their story and building a relationship with them. We don't have to risk anything when we use labels. La labels, though, they build up walls of division between people. Labeling is a form of judging. When we judge people, we shut down conversation almost immediately. Unfortunately, Christians are famous for judging people. And most of the time, we judge and label people on the flimsiest of, of things so that we can maintain whatever superficial stereotypes that we have going on in our mind. Uh, the Pharisee in our story, he passes judgment on his prayer partner, the tax collector. I mean, he prays, allegedly he's praying to God, but if you ask me, I, I think he was praying more to himself than he was to God. Uh, if you listen to his prayer, he stood there proudly, you know, at the altar before God and everybody else to admire. He says, thank God, I'm not like. The way he starts, he doesn't praise God, he praises himself. Oh, thank you, Lord, I'm not like all these other people. I mean, my goodness, I'm standing here, I'm doing it right, and whew, wish all these other people would just shape up. So he says, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm not like these people, and, and then he lists his accomplishments in, in his faith. Hey, I do this, and I do this, and you know, if you read his prayer, it's, it's like, well, he doesn't, he doesn't ask God for anything. He doesn't praise God. He doesn't think that he needs anything because he doesn't ask anything. And, and, and so we listen to this prayer, and it's all about himself and minimizing this, this other person. You know, spiritual comparison is deadly. Just, just because you might think you're better than everyone else doesn't justify or make you right with God. This Pharisee labeled the tax collector traitor. He collaborated with Rome. He, you know, extorted money out of his people. He's a traitor. His life is offensive. 
Bottom line, he's a sinner. I don't think the Pharisee viewed himself as a sinner. I don't think he felt like he needed anybody to save him. I think he thought that being part of the kingdom was a birthright and that he did everything right was just confirmation that, you know, he was in. I'm good. But these folks over here, my goodness. He, he might have been right about the tax collector. He probably was. Probably was a traitor. Probably was offensive. He probably was a sinner. But let me tell you something. The tax collector was humble. He knew he could not stand before God on his own merit, and so he cried out for mercy. And Jesus says that God heard his prayer and gave him the mercy. But see, this Pharisee, he compared himself to the tax collector in a way that elevated himself over and above this person so he could stand in this place of uh, you know, superiority and just kind of look down his nose and, at this other person. He diminished the other character to make himself feel better. He pointed out the sinners around him so that he could feel more righteous on his own. And Jesus said... He didn't leave the altar receiving anything from God. See, God justifies. God makes right those who are ungodly and cry out to him and confess and put their trust in him. That's really good news, folks. Somebody ought to say amen for that. Many out in the world look in at us and they see people who are acting just like the Pharisee did. They see uh, spiritually smug people who justify themselves by comparing themselves to other people uh, and then looking down their noses at them. Uh, and, and they notice that we don't act any different than the rest of the world. The world passes judgment on people all the time. I expect to be labeled. I expect to be judged when I walk out into the world. See, the problem is, is that Christians who are called to be different sometimes don't act any differently than the rest of the world, and that's confusing. People take notice of that, and they, they wag their fingers at us. Because sometimes, uh, I don't think that people necessarily get so upset that we do it occasionally. I think that what really puts them over the edge is that we deny it or we rationalize it away. Well, I was just doing this. No, what you're doing is being judgmental. What you're doing is you're comparing yourself in a way that elevates you above somebody else. What you're doing is you're slapping a label on people and you say that you don't do those things. That's really what people's beef is. You know, Christians, I mean, we label people out in the world. We, we even label each other. I mean, you drive up and down the streets, and you know all you need to know about the people worshiping, you know, that, you know, it depends on what, what name is out front of the church. Lutheran, Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Pentecostal. You know, when you drive by those, there's things that just come up in your mind, and you, hey, I know that one. And you make some assumptions, Right? that may be totally inaccurate because you haven't done the work to get to know the people. You've just heard a story about so-and-so and such-and-such, and hey, it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. 
Sometimes we label people by their preferred worship style. What kind of songs do you like? That tells you a lot about somebody's authenticity before God, doesn't it? Some people judge other Christians by the translation of the Bible that they read. Yeah, it's true. I've had, and I will say, I've had well-meaning Christ followers um, adopt a specific translation. And any other translations, especially like the message, have you heard of the message translation? I've had some people tell me that that's not even God's word. I've had some people say that if you read and, and, uh, and study the message, that that's kind of like a heresy in and of itself. Really? Well, we label people that way. Nothing else we can be honest in here, right? These are things I've noticed. On really good days, I'll keep my mouth shut. (laughs) Once in a while, it'll slip out. Oh, you must read Greek and Hebrew. (laughs) Well, no, not at all. I read the King James Version. Oh, well, that's the original one, isn't it? I'm just being funny with y'all. It's okay. I'm not labeling. I'm not judging. I'm just saying sometimes we need to get over some of these petty things that we hold up as things that we just label and write off people and their theology and their heart based on some of these silly little categories. You know what they say about a pastor who wears jeans in the pulpit. It's rather ironic to me that Christians, do you want to be labeled? Do you, really, do you want to go out in the world and do you want to be labeled? No. As a Christ follower. Right. I want to be labeled for doing the right thing. That's okay. But do you want to wear a negative label that maybe somebody else earned? No. But it's really ironic to me that we will say we don't want to be labeled the things that the world labels us as, but at the same time, we go out and, and we, do, we do the same thing. We, we don't want the label of judgmental. We don't want the label of homophobic. We don't want the label necessarily of conservative or anti-science or bigoted or sexist or hypocritical. We don't want to carry those labels around. But it's ironic that we go out and we start putting stickers on people for the very same kinds of things. Some are warranted. Some of the labels we've earned. Many of them are simply stereotypes, though, that somebody else has earned, and you know they've said something mean or cruel or hateful, and, um, well, some of them are reinforced by public behavior and constant barrage of negative and hateful and poisonous things that some Christians spew, you know, whether it's verbally or on Facebook or other social media. I mean, all of these things make it much harder to break down the stereotypes that the pop culture and the media keeps pressing in on us. Part of the problem that we face in talking with people outside the church is that while they might hear us say, hey, you know what, God loves you. You heard that one? Had somebody say, hey, God loves you. But if you feel like the person who says God loves you is judging you, 
They have to have, well, God loves you on one hand, and you follow him, right? And on the other hand, I don't think you like me very much. It's confusing to people. See, they want to see that our words and our actions line up. And when those things happen, Jen, I would love to wear that label. If you ask most non-Christians about what they think that Jesus stood for, most of them, almost all of them, would say love. And they would be correct. What they're doing, though, is they hear, they understand Jesus is love, and then they look at Jesus' followers and they don't see a picture of love. It's confusing. They know that Jesus taught people to love their neighbor as themselves. They know, I think they understand that, that Jesus kind of hung everything else on, on two commands, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he talked about love not as just a simple uh, feeling. It's an action. We have to put love into action. We have to practice that. It's a uh, Love is a kindness, it's compassion, it's a desire to bless and seek good for, for other people. It's loving your neighbors. And Jesus, well, he turns it up a notch. He says, it's not just neighbors, those who are in your immediate view right now. You've got to love your enemies, too. You've got to practice loving those who are putting and affixing a label to you. Pray for them. He told his disciples that the world would know us. The world would know him through the way we loved them. Non-Christians, people outside the church, know that Jesus stood for love, which is why when those who claim to follow him act in unloving, judgmental, and mean-spirited ways, it feels particularly unpleasant, and so they take a pass on religion because they don't need that version. They don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with some of the people who claim to follow him. Have you ever noticed that sometimes, now don't go getting all excited here, sometimes we tend to judge other people by their actions and we judge ourselves by our intentions. Oh, well, I was going to, so I must be doing it right. Well, you totally whiffed. <laughs> and you don't get credit for whiffing. It's called a strike. <laughs> they don't give you a base for a strike in baseball. So we, we judge other people by the things they actually do. And we judge ourselves by the things that we know in our head maybe we should do, our intentions. People see right through this. They think that we have this double standard and we judge others for failing to live up to our standards. And at the same time, sometimes it seems like we turn a blind eye to sin in ourselves and in other Christians. And we make excuses. So what happens, another way of saying this, is we pass judgment on people who sin differently than we do. And just because their sin may be different than ours. It doesn't mean that our sin is any less sin. Same thing. So let me give you a couple examples. 
we get upset about loose sexual standards out in society, right? I think that's okay. Well, we, can, we can be concerned about a lot of things. So I would say we get, we get upset about loose sexual standards out there, but what about totally ignoring gluttony in the church? How about this one? We get incensed by an economy that is predicated and run on greed, right? But sometimes it seems like we're totally okay with gossiping in the church. I know, we're just expressing prayer concerns. You're not fooling me. I think Jesus wants us to be different. I think he wants us to act like he did. I think he wants us to treat other people just how he would treat sinners like he did, as as people who desperately need grace and a kind word. You still have your Bibles open? And you're in chapter, you're in Luke 18. Flip over with me to... um, Luke 7. Sometimes it's, you know, it's a little softer approach. If you illustrate scripture with other scripture, then you don't have to use local examples. Sometimes those are more like a fastball. And I, I really want you to think deeply about what we're talking about today. 87% of people already think we're judgmental. Jesus is uh, in a situation here And I want to go through this story where Jesus is literally right in the middle of a situation where a Pharisee, on the one hand, is judging and labeling a sinner. I want to pay particular attention to how Jesus treats the situation. And so we have, it starts off, Luke chapter 7, verse 36, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. After he entered the Pharisee's home, he took his place at the table. Meanwhile, a woman from the city, a sinner, discovered that Jesus was dining in the Pharisee's house. She brought perfumed oil in a vase made of alabaster. Standing behind him at his feet and crying, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured the oil on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited Jesus, saw what was happening, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if he were actually a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. He would know she's a sinner. That's how this little episode starts. The the woman in the story, Luke doesn't provide a name for her. She was forward. She shows up uninvited to this party. She's just referred to as a woman of the city who was a sinner. What was her sin? We have no idea. It doesn't specify in the text, but uh, the language, the original language here, and the you know, looking back at the social customs of the time, when you describe somebody as a woman of the city who was a sinner, it's pretty safe to say she was probably a prostitute or very sexually promiscuous. That was the label that she carried. And her label kept her at a safe distance 
from the rest of the community. She was a category. She was an object. She was not a person. She was blocked from participating in society. She was walled off, and only certain men would ever venture into her isolation, and they were only there for one thing, and they were always taking, and they were never giving anything. She was known for her sin, and she lived into this label. So when you have that label, how do you begin to take that one away? How, how do you tear that kind of a label off? I mean, Luke tells us that this woman learns that Jesus is scheduled to be a guest at this Pharisee named Simon's house. And she decides, something radical in my life has got to change. And she goes and she busts in on this party and she approaches Jesus. She's heard about him. Maybe he can help. Maybe he can heal. Maybe he can forgive. Maybe he can give me a new label. So look at how the story's blocked out. You have Jesus who is reclining, okay? And so most of the time when we think about a dinner party, we think about, you know, a table and we're sitting at chairs. And, you know, so when we think about this woman who's anointing Jesus' feet, we think that she's crawling around under a table. No. So they have, like, these couches, and you'd be, like, reclining on a couch like this and, and eating like this. And so Simon would be across from Jesus, okay? And the woman would have come back, and Jesus' feet would be out here somewhere. And so she's standing behind Jesus' feet, Jesus is in the middle, and then we have Simon, okay? And so this woman is giving Jesus the foot massage with her tears, and then she realizes, oh, I've just made a mess, and so she lets her hair down. That's a no-no in the social structure of the day. Women didn't let their hair down in public. They only let their hair down in the presence of their husband at home. So she lets her hair down. She starts wiping his feet, and then, you know what? I should, just, I should anoint him with this oil. And so she does this. Simon, all the while, is watching, right? And Jesus is watching Simon. So, so Jesus knows what's happening to his feet. He's looking at Simon. Simon is judging this woman. And Luke tells us that Jesus knew what he was thinking. I think I would, too. You, could read, you can read disgust and disdain in people's eyes. You can read it in their countenance. When people are upset with somebody else or just, you know, totally disgusted, you, you can see that in a face. And Jesus sees Simon's face just get all bent out of shape. And, and he says, um, you know, what did Simon? Simon said, Simon started taking Jesus' prophet label off at this point. He says, you know, if this guy was really a prophet... He would know what kind of woman this is. Jesus says, uh, pick it up in verse 40. Jesus replied, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, speak. Jesus tells a story. A certain lender had two debtors who owed money enough to pay 500 people for a day's work. In other words, this guy owed 500 days' wages. And there's another guy who owed 50 days' wages. And when they couldn't pay, the lender forgave the debts of them both which of them will love him more? Well, Simon says, well, I suppose. I suppose the one who gave more? Yes, the one whose debt was larger would love more. And then Jesus says, you have judged correctly. See, Jesus is gracious at this point still. He's calm. He recognized that it was a teachable moment with Simon. In a moment of grace for this woman, he tells this story. 
Simon answers correctly. It's a story about forgiveness. And then, so we, we just blocked out, right? Okay, Simon's over here, right? Jesus in the middle. Woman's over here. So Jesus has been talking to Simon over here, and he turns, and he, he looks at the woman straight in the eye. But he's not talking to her yet, okay? He starts, he, he looks at the woman, and he's still talking to Simon over here, and he says, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? When I entered your house, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my tears, wet, wet my feet with her tears and wiped them. He, he goes on and talks about all of the ways that this woman showed him hospitality in ways that Simon didn't even do when he came into his house. And so now Jesus is locked eyes with this woman. He's talking to Simon about this woman's hospitality. And he says, you know why she did that? She was forgiven a lot. And so she has shown me great love. He's looking at the woman and Jesus tells Simon that her sins are forgiven. Well, that got the dinner guests all in a buzz. Who is this guy? Who even can forgive sins? And then and then he talks to the woman. But I'm really struck, stuck on this phrase, do you see this woman? She's not an object. She's not a category. Can you see her as something other than a filthy sinner? Can you see her as a child of God, one whom he created, one whom he loves deeply. Do you see this woman? Jesus is peeling a label off, isn't he, in this conversation? Don't miss this. Jesus didn't condone what she did. When he talks directly to the woman, he tells her, your sins are forgiven. And then, and then he says, go in peace. Which, you know, in our English, we don't get the full weight of that. He says, go in something like shalom. Go and be well. Go and be made whole. That's what go in peace means. Go and live rightly. It's another way of saying go and sin no more. Jesus didn't say your sin is okay, it'll be all right, you know, I'll just turn a blind eye. He says, no, I will forgive you your sins, but you need to go in peace. You need to go and try and do better. You need to work on that. You need to go and become a whole person. You know, when we play the role of Simon... And we judge other people. And we affix labels on people. And we pass judgment. And we diminish people. And we just assume we know the whole story. And we never do the hard part of entering into relationship. Even though it might be messy. It takes a bite out of people. And it wounds them. I can tell you a bunch of stories. Of people that I know. Who have been wounded by other Christians. Or by Christians in general. Um, but we, saw that we found this video, and I, I thought it might be helpful to put a picture of what it looks like when a shark bite happens 
in the context of Christianity. So go ahead and, and roll that video. Thank you. 
Maybe you have a similar story that could just be added to the end of that video. And if that's your story, I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here this morning and deep down you know that you've caused that kind of hurt in somebody else. In both cases, I want to tell you there's good news. There's healing for the wounded and the brokenhearted. And there's forgiveness for those of us who get it wrong. And Jesus can do both. We're called to be people who extend radical hospitality to others. This is how Henry Nouwen describes hospitality. He says... Hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change could take place. It's not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom not disturbed by dividing lines. We don't do outreach necessarily in this church as an intent to win people over. That's a nice byproduct when it happens. When we practice hospitality and outreach in this congregation, my prayer is that it would follow this description, that we create free space for people that can come in and they can get to know others. And they can experience the love and the grace and healing of Jesus and not fear judgment and condemnation. What would it look like if we loved people like Jesus did, imperfections and all? What if we loved people just the way they are? I'm guessing they'd get a better picture of Jesus than maybe they're getting right now. I'm guessing that this kind of love would draw people to him. And who knows, maybe it would nudge them to one day become better people. My prayer is that we would be welcoming and create this kind of space. My prayer is that we would go from here and we would be grace bearers in the world, that we would be people who go around looking for labels that people wear and we would be the grace bearers who peel them off. And instead, put a new label on that says loved, that says valued, that says forgiven that says restored, that says redeemed. I think in the closing moments that we have, the worship team is going to come back and uh, 
And we're going to close singing Amazing Grace. And uh, there's a couple versions of that song. There's the, there's the traditional version, which we're going to start off with, and that'll move into a, a, a newer version. And there's this chorus that says, My chains are gone, I've been set free. I think that's the business that Jesus asks us to be about in the world. To proclaim forgiveness and freedom for people. We know that we were, that we freely received and Jesus asks us to freely give. That's what we're called to do. Maybe you're here this morning and you carry a label that just haunts you. Maybe you need grace and forgiveness and a healing touch. Maybe you feel judged and outside. Maybe you recognize something in yourself that you tend to compare yourself in a way that diminishes other people and elevates yourself so that you can look down on them and you can feel good about yourself. Maybe you know that you've judged people and make a regular practice of that. I don't know where you're at this morning. I'm pretty certain that all of us are in the room. And I'm pretty certain that this text, if we think deeply enough on it, gets us all in one way or another. Maybe we need to stop being label makers Maybe we need to have the label peeled off. Whatever your story is, bring it before the Lord today. And I just wanted to end by reminding you that the, the pool of your hurt and your brokenness and your sin and your pain is a tiny puddle in the ocean of God's grace. He's one that loves and forgives and extends grace. Would you receive it today? Father, we are in your presence. And I thank you for the reminder that your scripture puts in front of us. That sometimes, even though we might be well-meaning and well-intending, Sometimes, as your followers, we get it wrong. And when we do, other people are hurt and they're wounded and we turn them away from you and I know that's not what we're trying to do. I pray for my brothers and sisters here who have a tendency to judge and to look down upon and to compare and to label people. I pray that we would have the distinct reminder that you set the bar pretty low to get into the kingdom of heaven and it's not our job to raise the bar. I pray that you would remind us that we are to be grace bearers and people who love in your name. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning who are hurt and are wounded 
and who feel judged and who are wearing a label that maybe they earned, maybe it's unfair, but they just need to have it peeled off. Jesus, would you peel it off? Would you remind them that they are one of your children, a person of value, one who is loved? And I pray as we close that that we would just get a picture of this amazing grace that you pour out upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.